The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Well, as Jesse already said, and I'm gonna say it one more time, good morning and welcome to The Grove. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you before, my name's Ryan, I'm one of the pastors on staff. Also wanna say good morning to those tuning in live online, Facebook and on an online platform. And I don't know if there's a disappointed emoji. Does that exist? Because I feel like maybe that's the emojis that are gonna rain uh, in the comment section online uh, based on what Jesse said. But hey, if you're online, I want you to do me a favor. And if you haven't already, I want you to hit that share button. Uh, It takes three seconds to do. In fact, if you're ever in here, because I don't wanna exclude those of you that are in person, you can always open up your Facebook on your app if if you have the Grove Church page and you could share uh, the gathering out there. I, I think on average, every share that we do potentially gets the message on any Sunday morning out to 100-ish more potential people that might need to hear a message of hope. It's like digital evangelism. And so you can do that if you want to, but if you're online, haven't done that, take three seconds, get that out there and help us. But I'm stoked that you guys are here today as we're continuing in our message series, Up Next Hope. Now, I love, uh, by the way, the insider information, the video that plays before a speaker comes up. Do you know what that's called? In the biz, we call that the bumper video, okay? Uh, And in this bumper video with Up Next Hope, uh, it reminds me a little bit like the the TV stations that are changing, right? It reminds me of my dad channel surfing, like back in the day before DVR, right? You had to be in your seat to watch the show at 8 p.m. or you missed it. Do you remember those days? Anybody else remember those days? Okay, so that, my dad was a channel surfing king, man, from one news station to the next, to the History Channel, right? Those were like his favorite things. So if you're in that generation, kind of think about that with that video. Uh, maybe you find yourself more of a 21st century uh, kind of person where you've got Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, you just name the other apps that are out there where you can watch whatever show you want whenever you want to. The premise behind the bumper video and the series, Up Next Hope, is I don't know about you, But whether you're a channel surfer at home or you're watching the videos on Facebook and it automatically plays another video, you know, once you're done watching that, there feels like there's a whole lot of downer information that's out there, right? Channel surfing from one news thing to the next, right? Uh, The next thing you see is something about the hate that's going on somewhere in the world. You click to the next station or the next video plays and it's about some atrocity that's taken place, some natural disaster somewhere in the world. The next thing that you see is, is some kind of war that's going on or the next thing you see is division. I don't know if anybody else in here needs this, but I need some hope. I'm hoping the next thing that comes up is a little bit of hope amidst all of the negativity that we see everywhere we go. And so that's kind of the, the premise of this idea of up next. My kids love YouTube. Anybody ever watch YouTube for anything? Any DY? Uh, DIYers, do it yourself, uh, DIY. I said that backwards the first time, right? Uh, if you don't know what YouTube is, uh, my kids love YouTube, okay? My kids love to watch uh, like uh, um, YouTube families that basically like vlog their life, right? Every day, a vlog is like a video blog. A vlog, V-L-O-G, see what it is? Yeah, so they vlog their life. My kids will watch these families all the time, right? Um, DIY, you wanna do, I don't, I'm not a fixer, right? I can't fix things. Ask Joe, I had to have his help when I needed a dishwasher problem, okay? Some of you guys, yeah, you can build things and do things. I'm not a fixer with my hands, but I can go onto YouTube and learn how to almost do anything. Put an antenna on my house because I wanna cut cable, right? You can find out almost how to do anything on YouTube, but when my kids watch YouTube, as soon as they're done watching their video, 
and it's, and it's ended, YouTube takes it to a certain page and there's a little uh, circle at the bottom that starts to fill up with red, which basically you have about 15 seconds until it's gonna play the next video and it'll say up next and it'll show you what video it's about to play. That's kind of the premise of this series is we need a little bit of hope and there's no better place to go for hope in the scriptures than to the gospel accounts of Jesus's life, which is the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And specifically for us, we're diving in to the book of Mark. If you have your Bibles with you, always encourage you to bring your Bibles and encourage you to take those out. We're going to be in a couple of different places, but they're within a chapter of each other, so it'll be easy to turn there. But we're going to start in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. If you've got that smartphone, you want to follow along on the Bible app that you have, uh, you can do that as well. But as you're turning there, we can basically break down the gospel accounts of Jesus's life Right? And the gospel means the good news. That's what gospel stands for is the, is the term, the phrase, the good news, specifically of Jesus. And we can look at the gospel of Mark and break it down into categories, right? Let me give you an example. We could break it down into the healings, right? Or, or, or the supernatural miracles of Jesus. And we could find the scripture references of chapter and verse, and we could read through and skip through and look at all the supernatural miracles that Jesus and the disciples performed. And you could break those down into subcategories, right? Because he did a lot of different kinds of miracles. I mentioned one of them, healings, right? The moments in which Jesus or the disciples healed somebody in need, crippled, blind, raised from the dead, right? Lazarus, like, like healings. Another type of supernatural miracle that Jesus did is deliverance, right? We just came out of a series called um, Enemy at Work, right? God is real. Satan is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Angels are real. Uh, demons are real, right? And there was deliverance moments when the disciples and Jesus delivered people, individuals like you and I who were tormented and possessed by demons. You could break it down into miracles like Jesus turning water into wine, right? But there's these categories that we could look at and break down the gospel accounts. Here's another one. Another category could be the teachings and the parables of Jesus. You could look at the moments in which Jesus either is teaching the disciples or big, large groups of people on a hillside. In fact, Pastor Aaron touched on one of these parables last week. In fact, you could always catch up, by the way, if you miss an installment of any of our messages, you can always go to grow.church, click on media, and you can find our past messages there, right? But Jesus taught in a very different way, didn't he, right? Most of the uh, 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 theologians, most of the, the teachers of the law uh, and the religious leaders, when they would teach in the temples, it was ex exegetical. Um, exegetical is kind of reading scriptures, which they would have had at the time, would have been the Pentateuch, which is the first five, by, uh, five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and some others, but they would go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through it. But Jesus taught very differently, didn't he? And he used these stories and illustrations that even the uneducated could understand, and they were called So you could look at that categorically. There's another category that we could look at with the uh, interactions that Jesus had with the religious leaders of the time, right? Jesus' blood never got boiling. He never got angry with individuals that were in sin. Who did he get angry with? The religious leaders, Right? He has these moments with them. Now, that's a subject I'm going to let Pastor Nick touch on in a few weeks, is this category of interaction with the religious leaders. But today, I want to look at another category. It's a very simple one, but it's very important for us. It's a big deal in the gospel accounts and even into the New Testament in Romans, Acts and Romans, and in the Pauline epistles. And it's focused around the specific word, if you're taking notes, and the word is disciple, Right, you see it all throughout the gospel accounts. You see it all throughout the New Testament. In fact, it's, it's the thing that Jesus gives us his last words to his disciples, the great commission that we're gonna to touch on a little bit later today in Mark 16. But he says, go into all the world and preach the good news, the gospel message of Jesus and make disciples. Right, disciple, the word is a very important thing. It's a big deal 
in the gospel accounts. And of course, we could take a look at the word disciple, and we might think of the very first thing is a title that was given to the original 12 that Jesus called to himself, and they called them the 12 disciples. And so the question for you and I today in the 21st century is what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And looking at the life, the examples, and the story of this group of men can share uh, share great insight for us on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, here's the thing what I know is in this audience right now, I understand that we're all in a different process and a journey of figuring out and our faith journey of who Jesus is, who God is, who we are. And for, when, I, when I look at this audience, I can tell that there are some that you might be here for the first time. You might not have decided, made the decision to, to you know, put your faith in Jesus yet. You're still trying to figure this all out. And that's great. I'm so glad that you're here. And I also look at the audience and I see there's some that have been following Jesus longer than I've been alive, right? It's been decade after decade after decade. And for those of us that are, are somewhere on the in-between or those, or, or those later years, you've heard the gospel accounts. You've heard these, these teachings on this. We, we look back on the life of the disciples from today looking back, and we know the whole story already. And I want to stop for a moment because I think for some of us, when we ask the question, what does it mean to be a disciple in the 21st century, real grassroots, rubber meets the road, boots on the ground today, what does that mean is we can look at the life of the disciples and the incredible things that they were a part of and the incredible things that they did, and we can disqualify ourselves. Hey, I'm willing to believe in Jesus. I know I'm a man or woman in need of a savior, but man, I could never be like them. God could never use me like he used them, Ryan. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I was thinking last night. Like God could never use me. Sometimes we disqualify ourselves because the disciples were a part of some pretty incredible things, right? Let me list a few for you. This is not an exhaustive list, but just to give you an idea. Peter walked on water. Right? To walk on water is impossible, and yet it happened in the middle of a storm. Right? That is an incredible feat that took place. We can look at Peter and John as they traveled from place to place. It says they came into the city, and when you would come into the city, you would go through the gates of the city. And at the gate called Beautiful, when you would come in the gates, there would be beggars that were there asking for money, or there would be crippled individuals there that were asking for money. And this is the famous line when those two gentlemen say, silver and gold have we none, but what we give you, we give you freely in the name of the Lord. Rise, be healed, and take your mat and go home. And they have this incredible miracle of healing take place. Right, Philip cast out demons. Paul and Silas on a mission did the same thing as they were traveling around on their missionary journeys. Paul and Barnabas healed crippled men. These were the individuals that saw Jesus turn water into wine, turn a few loaves of bread and fishes uh, into feeding 5,000 people on a hillside. They saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. And we can look at the story from now back on history and think, man, we could, God could never use me like that. But what we need to do is remember from the start of the gospel accounts when Jesus travels and calls them one at a time to drop what they're doing and follow him is a better insight into who these individuals were. If we were to use some adjectives, those are descriptive words, in case you don't remember your schooling, right? If we were to use some adjectives to describe this group of men as a whole, not that every single one of them dealt with all of this, but these group of individuals, can I just say this? We're not the cream of the crop, right? If Jesus is coming and saying, I'm gonna pick 12 people and I'm gonna change the face of the world forever with 12 men, these would not be the ones that you would think that he would pick, okay? Uh, To use a descriptive word, let me give you a few. Uneducated. The majority of these individuals were uneducated in the socioeconomic cultural status. They were usually down at the bottom, most of them. 
Several of them were fishermen, right? They weren't philosophers, right? They weren't teachers of the law. They, they weren't uh, the religious leaders, which those were the elevated positions as if you were educated. They were uneducated. Here's another word. Pastor Nick uh, explained this a few weeks ago. If you were here, he talked about specifically Matthew. Matthew was a Jew who was a tax collector. He worked, he worked for the Roman Empire who was ruling all of Israel at that time. And he collected taxes from his people to them, but they were crooked. They would extort people if you were a tax collector and take more money from you. So if you knew a tax collector, you hated them. In fact, to give you an illustration, at one of the times when the religious leaders were attacking Jesus, they said, who is this man? This is one sentence, by the way, that he says that, that they say this. Who is this man who hangs out with sinners and tax collectors? Synonymously in the same sentence. If you were a tax collector, you were not liked very much because you were crooked. Here's a couple more adjectives that might've been used to describe this group of men. Prideful and arrogant. How many times does Peter brash Peter lash out, talk before he thinks about something, act before he considers what's going on? They were hard-headed. Right? Jesus had to teach them similar principles over and over and over again, and they still didn't get it. I had you turn there as an example of this in Mark 10, 13, one of the first spots for today. And as they were traveling around together, it says one day, verse 13, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering them. Ain't nobody got time for your kids. Get your kids out of here. Do you know who we are? Do you know who this is? Yeah, Jesus says when he heard about this, he became angry with his disciples and he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And then he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on their heads and he blessed them. Here's one more adjective or two more that could have been used to describe that group of men, selfish and self-promoting. And we're gonna take a look at a verse here. In fact, if you wanna turn there, it's one chapter before. It's Mark chapter nine, starting in verse 33. If you're taking notes, you can write that down as well. But it says, again, as they were traveling, they came to Capernaum. And when he, Jesus, was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest amongst them. You see, the disciples struggled with selfishness and self-promotion just like you and I do today. The idea of advancing ourselves, of getting our own, of, uh, uh, of getting ourselves into a place where we get the things that we need to be happy and to be known. And I paint this picture of the disciples simply to say that these men struggled with the same fears, the same doubts, the same selfishness, the same human condition that you and I struggle with today. And if Christ through them could accomplish those incredible miracles and take the greatest, most important thing, which is the meaning of life, and give them a mission to go and change the world after he's been crucified, rose again, and his last moment within says, I'm choosing you to go make disciples of all nations in Mark 16. If Jesus can use these men with those adjectives and those descriptive words, that's good news for you and I because he can use you too. He can use me too to accomplish that same mission. Let's not disqualify ourselves because we look at all the great things that they did. So it brings us back to the question, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century? It's to have our lives conform 
to his teachings, much like the disciples, that their lives were marked by looking at things and interacting with society and culture and people and values and the way they interacted were marked by the teachings of Jesus. That's why they were his disciples. And similarly, you and I, our lives should be marked that we're different. People should know you. You should have a reputation. I should have a reputation that's different than those around us. The disciples learned a ton of paradigm-shifting ideas as they traveled with Jesus. Let me give you an example of just a few. Underneath Jesus, they learned to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me is what Jesus said. It's not about you. It's not about your promotion. It's not about the things that you can get, but deny yourself, take up your cross, follow after me. Under the teachings of Jesus, they learned that prayer in private produces power in public. What Jesus taught them is you see all these religious leaders will stand on the corners of streets and they will pray these loud, eloquent prayers and sound incredible and sound intelligent and sound like they, they know exactly what God is thinking and saying. But what Jesus said is they've already gotten their earthly reward, but not so with you. He said to the disciples, he said, you go and you pray in private, not so that you get recognized, but spend time with God. And in that place of knowing him and hearing from him, you become empowered so that when you're in public, you've got power to change and influence your world. Paradigm shifting moments culturally, they learned underneath Jesus that women have value, that there is value to women. I'm gonna paraphrase for a moment, but there's a moment in, in the gospel accounts when the disciples are out grocery shopping, okay, down at the Pickwick and the Pay and Save or Albertsons or wherever they are. And they come back gathering food and they find Jesus talking with a woman at the well. And she's getting water because she's thirsty out of a well. First off, just culturally speaking, take aside for a moment that Jesus was the son of God. He's the Messiah, fully God, fully man, the Christ. Just a religious leader, uh, the intelligence that considered him a rabbi and a teacher, that's why they call him that. For an individual like that to be conversing with a woman would have been unheard of. And not only is she a woman, here's another uh, paradigm shifting moment for them, culturally speaking, it's a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans you didn't associate with if you were Jews, they were the low end, they were hated and despised by the Jews and yet Jesus is having a life altering conversation with her about the living water, do you remember this? He says, you're, you're drawing water out here because you're thirsty, but I've got water I can give you where you'll never thirst again. Changing the paradigm of how they looked at their world. Ultimately saying that all people have significance. Of course, it leads back into the Great Commission, going to the all the world, not just for the Jews, but for everybody. Underneath Jesus' teaching, they realized that miracles are possible. They realized and they learned that persecution is real and to expect it, not to cry, not to say, God, why are you doing this to me? Why are you allowing these bad things to happen to me? He said, no, if you're gonna follow me and be my disciple, they're gonna persecute me, which means they're gonna persecute you. It's not gonna be fair. They're gonna take things away from you. They're not gonna treat you justly. Persecution is real and you better expect it. Then we come to one of the most important ideals that Jesus taught his disciples completely counter culture, counter to their nature, and it's counter to ours as well, even 2,000 years later. And we find this, if you flip back a chapter from where we were in Mark chapter 9, it's Mark chapter 10. 
starting in verse 35. I want to read this to you. It says, Then James and John, his two disciples, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That never ends well, by the way. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. What they're saying, pause for a moment. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. They know how it works with earthly kings. He's gonna have a throne. Let us sit at the places of honor at your right and at your left. Self-seeking, self-promotion, selfishness. Still, a chapter later from what we saw happening in Mark 9. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. He said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. Of course, he was foreshadowing about the pain and the suffering and things he was about to go through. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the other 10 disciples heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Yeah, a few of us would become indignant when two of our disciples are trying to jockey for the best positions of honor. And then Jesus, like he so often did with them, gathered them together. And he has a teaching moment with them. And on this subject, he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It was a paradigm-shifting moment. He said, I know that you see how the leaders of the Gentiles lord it over them. They exercise authority over them. You see that the higher you climb up the ladder, the more easier it gets. Right, you get the better parking spot, you get the better benefits, you get the better stock options. I mean, I'm the vice president of the organization. I don't clean toilets. He's saying the same thing that we have happening in our day. Context would have been different, and yet the issue is the same. You think that as you grow and become more prominent that you should be known better. You should have perks that as you grow up, then you can exercise authority over people. But he says, but not so with you. And in fact, he said, it's not different. It's the opposite. Whoever wants to be first has to be last. Whoever wants to be the greatest must become the servant of all. And of course, we just, this is in Mark 10. Remember Mark 9 that we read just a few moments ago? They were traveling, got into Capernaum. Jesus says, what were you arguing about on the way? And they don't say anything because they were arguing about who's the greatest. Same issue. This is the last part of that verse. After that happened, it said that Jesus sat them down, called the 12 to him. This is verse 35. He said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Servant of all. Why don't you think about that for a moment? I know this is church, so it's, oh yeah, that's good. Be real with yourselves for a moment and think about that. To be servant of all. To be a disciple of Jesus means that you and I must become servant of all. Of all, let's be real. Our society and our culture, we have been bred, we have been trained, just like the disciples noticed how the Gentile leaders lorded it over them. It's the same thing with our society and culture. The higher you go, the easier it is. Everything that we've seen is to get your own. Do what you have to do to promote yourself. Do what you have to do so that you can be happy. But Jesus said, not so 
with you. And Jesus not only taught this, because Jesus wasn't one of those do as I say, not as I do guys. He modeled it his whole life. Everything we see from his ministry years, which is the majority of what we see in scripture and the gospel accounts, is he modeled the idea of being a servant. I mean, think about it. As he traveled from place to place, people would bring their sick, bring those that were lame, bring people, uh, would call, could you, could you come over to my house over here? My daughter you know, uh, is, is really sick and, and, and has died. He would move with compassion. He would stop and heal and minister and speak and preach. And instead of saying, no, you go home and eat yourself. I'm gonna do a miracle and turn these loaves and fishes into bread and I'll feed all of you. He was moved from compassion. And there's two ways that really stick out, two stories that he models us, I think, greater than any other. One of them we just read in Mark 10, 45, which we'll come back to in a moment. But there's a moment in the gospel accounts when Jesus and his disciples are gathered together in a place and he takes a towel and he ties it on to his waist. And he grabs a basin of water. And he gets down into the most humble servant position that you can with your body and he washes his disciples feet now I don't know about you can we just be real feet are nasty okay and men sweaty hairy disciples traveling with sandals and dust and dirt is like a whole nother level of nasty and if Jesus again take aside that he's the son of God he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our Savior, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Take that aside for a moment. Just that he was a rabbi and a teacher in the cultural standards of who he was, it would be unheard of that an individual like this would wash anybody's feet. It was the most subservient of all servants' role to wash the feet. It was the most nasty, grimy. The greatest analogy that I could give around here is you're going to scrub people's toilets with your hands, okay? It was nasty. And yet Jesus does this and he models this. In fact, it's so outlandish because then again, you add in the fact that his disciples know exactly who he is. I mean, Peter says, there's no way, Lord, that you are washing my feet. Not you, not to me. And Jesus says, if you don't let me do this, you have no part in me because I know what it looks like by societal standards and cultural standards that the higher you go, the more honor you're given and you don't do these things. It's not with me, not so with you. Whoever wants to be first has to be last. Whoever wants to be the greatest must become the least. And then, of course, in closing, the ultimate example of sacrifice and servanthood, Mark 10, 45. For the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. King of kings, Lord of lords, but he didn't come to sit on a throne and be fed grapes and be fanned with palm branches and to have every whim done by his minions around him. He came to lay down his life so that you and I could have eternity and relationship with God because sin had separated us from him and he paid that ultimate sacrifice. And so a good barometer, even over 2,000 years later, on whether or not we're disciples of Jesus, is, is our life marked by this attribute of his teaching? Do we put others before ourselves? Or do we operate based on a societal and cultural value system? Let me, let me make it a little more specific for you and I. Do we put our spouse first if we're married? Do we put our kids first 
if we have kids? Do we put our coworkers first before us? How about our classmates, our neighbors? How about random people we run into in the grocery store or drive next to on the freeway or see standing on a corner of an off-ramp? Do we put others before ourselves? If you're taking notes, write this down. Disciples of Jesus are less interested in their rights and more interested in putting others first. I'm gonna have the worship team come back up and I'm gonna pray here in just a moment. We've created intentional time in our gatherings that after a message like this, that we have a time just to kind of worship together. It's meant, and it'll look different each and every Sunday. It's a moment of response. Sometimes that might mean prayer and coming forward for prayer. It might be different things. But today I just simply want, as I pray and we sing together, I want you just to contemplate three simple questions on this topic and this issue that Jesus modeled for us and the disciples came under. Number one, how will you become least this week? Not a year from now, not 10 years when you become a mature Christian. What can you do this week with the people that you know in your household, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your school to become least? Second question, how will you put others first this week? And number three, what would you be willing to give up? Jesus was willing to give up his life. The disciples were willing to give up their lives, drop their nets, drop their fishing gear, walk away from their families and their houses and follow Jesus. What would you and I be willing to give up for others this week? Let me pray. God, we thank you that your choice to use us, to love us as individuals is not based on merit, it's not based on our past, it's not based on the struggles or the fears that we have. Because like the disciples, we, we suffer with all those human conditions of selfishness and self-promotion and sometimes anger. And sometimes we're crooked and we don't follow the rules 100%. God, we're just like them, but the good news is, God, is you wanna use us, maybe differently, specifically in context of what you've called us to, but you've called all of us to the Great Commission, the mission of spreading your good news of your life, Jesus, that you came to pay a price that wasn't yours, to atone for sin, which separates us from God for eternity. It equals spiritual death, and yet you came to provide that for us and now our goal is to be used by you to share that with as many people as we can. And so God, I pray that as individuals, as couples, as family this week, that we would engage these three questions when it comes to this topic of being servant of all. To be a disciple means that our life would be marked, that we live differently underneath your teachings and your word, not by society or culture or what everybody else is doing, but we should be recognized as different. People should say that individual is different. They react differently in this situation than everybody else is. Our lives should be marked by your truth. And so God, as we consider this week, how will we become least? How will we put others first? And God, what would we be willing to give up for others? this week. We say that we love you. We want to be more like you. Change our hearts. Change our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.